You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Hi there. Thanks for joining me for this special episode of On the Record Online. Now, if you're a regular listener of the show, uh, this is not going to be the usual uh, one-on-one interview with a mainstream media journalist or a blogger or a podcaster or a newsmaker. We have an audio transcript for you today that we are going to play. It is from the Public Relations Society of America's State of the State panel. Uh, Once a year, the Los Angeles chapter does an annual look at the PR industry from a variety of perspectives. Uh, There is a a well-known agency executive, PR agency executive on the panel. Uh, There is uh, someone from the corporate side, the nonprofit side, um, a very well-known executive recruiter from the PR industry. Uh, and it is hosted, or rather moderated, by Mark Lachter. He is the editor-in-chief of the Los Angeles Business Journal. Um, it is a very good panel, and I think you will enjoy it if you are interested in how the uh, public relations industry is changing in this um, age of personal publishing and new media. Um, so I hope you enjoy it. Uh, if you... Um, are not a regular listener of the show. I'm your host. My name's Eric Schwartzman, and I am the founder and president of iPressroom Corporation. Uh, we help uh, organizations integrate the web into their marketing communications and PR initiatives um, through a variety of uh, services that we provide. Uh, I am also personally and professionally fascinated in how technology and the internet are changing the way organizations communicate and the way people consume media and information. Um, If you have questions or comments or suggestions or feedback or um, guests you'd like to recommend for future episodes, uh, I'd I'd welcome that uh, feedback uh, on the blog. You can post that at www.spinfluencer.com or you can send me an email. Um, Send that to eric at ontherecordpodcast.com. Uh, you can uh, subscribe to this podcast at a variety of places. You can get it at iTunes. Uh, you can get it at Yahoo Podcasts. You can get it at Odeo. You can get it at pretty much any popular uh, uh, podcast directory. Uh, search keyword Schwartzman. That's the easiest way to find it. Um, if you are uh, interested in um, attending any of the upcoming conferences or seminars that I'll be involved with, uh, come, on, come on up to the Newcom Forum, uh, March 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. That's going to be in Palo Alto, and I'm going to be moderating a panel on podcasting and also uh, doing some live podcasting uh, from, from the conference. Looking forward to that. I will also be moderating a panel on podcasting at AdTech in San Francisco on April 26th, and I am also involved with helping the Public Relations Society of America's Tech Committee, or Tech Section, I should say, rather, uh, plan their uh, conferences uh, for New York and Los Angeles. Uh, so looking forward to that. Um, so uh, without uh, any further ado, I am going to play for you the panel with the uh, Public Relations Society of, Amer- of America's annual look at the industry. As always, it comes to you entirely uncut, and we are going to play it for you after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from iPressroom. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. 
Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom, tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. Thank you for that nice introduction, and uh, it's great being here uh, to moderate this panel on the state of the industry going into 2006. Although, with all deference to the Public Relations Society, I might offer a subtitle to tonight's event, Magical Mystery Tour, perhaps, (laughs) Syriana PR, might be another one. Uh, whatever the title, let's all agree that uh, these are astounding times, and you know, I doubt whether the media world will really be the same uh, ever again. Goodness knows what's in store for us uh, just five years down the road. Uh, the, your own press release actually uh, promoting tonight's event pretty much summarizes where we're at, and I'll just quote from that. Uh, there are harbingers everywhere signaling that the public relations industry is on the brink of a new era. Corporate consolidations are shaping a new competitive landscape, while issues like executive misconduct are creating new challenges. Technology is accelerating and as a result changing the face of how we communicate with media, the consumer, business to business and beyond, and the agencies are enjoying an embarrassment of riches in business opportunities, but suffering a drought of talent to tend to these new clients. Drought of talent, is that true? I guess we'll find out. Where are we headed and what will the path hold? Those are good questions and we will be exploring that. Uh, tonight's distinguished group of panelists are leaders in their respective areas of public relations and representative of agencies large and small, corporate organizations, nonprofits, and executive recruiting. Their collective wisdom will give us unique insight into what lies ahead for PR professionals. So here's how we're going to do this. Uh, I'm going to introduce each one of the panel members. You each have three minutes, count them, three minutes for some introductory remarks on where we've come from this past year and where we're headed. Uh, After that, I'm going to be asking you some questions, hopefully not too difficult, and then we'll take some questions from the audience, and that will be that. Um, Any questions? Does that sound okay? All right. Uh, Our first panelist tonight, Judy Johnson, is Executive Vice President and Managing Director of Golden Harris's Western Region, which includes offices in Los Angeles, Orange County, San Francisco, and Seattle. She has more than 20 years' experience in public relations and has worked with some of the most recognized brands in the world, including uh, clients like Nintendo, Nestle, Mattel, Pacific Air, Toyota, and Dole. Judy worked at Fleischer and Hillard and served as interim group head of the corporate communications practice, as well as global account lead for the World Cup Japan 2002. Her experience also includes a stint at Manning, Selvage, and Lee, where she worked on the consumer, healthcare, and corporate practices accounts. Judy's a graduate of the UCLA School of Communications, Magna Cum Laude, holds several industry awards for her sound strategic programs and the results they have achieved for her clients. Judy's a graduate. Judy, who wrote this? This really is very nice. Someone Judy's a graduate of the School of Communications, 
um, and holds several dozen industry awards for her sound strategic programs and the results they have achieved for her clients. Judy, why don't you get us started here? Okay, great. Well, if I'd known you were going to read the entire bio, I would have sent a smaller version. I have limited time. But I think the hardest task, and I was talking with my colleagues here, is that you've asked a PR person to only speak for two or three minutes. So I've narrowed it down to really brief or executive summary comments in three areas that I thought might be of interest to you tonight. And I've broken those into talent, the outside impact of what's happening in the world, and um, client agency kind of situation as we go to 2006. So I thought I'd talk about talent since this room is filled with talent. And I will defer expertise to my colleague at the end of the table, Betsy Berkmer, who obviously is one of our top recruiters and I can talk more about talent. But from my perspective, having only worked with thousands and probably hired a, a thousand people or so in my career, um, I can say that I support some of the comments in the press release that there is a challenge right now to try to find good people. There's not a shortage of positions, that is for certain. I mean, I have a, 11 open positions. Uh, and it's just hard to find good people. But there are good people out there. I have met some really wonderful people and hired some wonderful people in the last year. Um, and I think that Bill can speak to this more as well, but we still are seeing is a, a, you know, a national issue, obviously, that there's a shortage of people of minority backgrounds or of color. And it is a huge problem. I know the Council of PR is still trying to figure out the solution. Uh, for that particular issue. I think that the um, mobility expectations of people has drastically changed. I, I meet a lot of young people. Um, the you pay your dues, kind of the era I grew up in is so far out the window that I have to remember that you know <coughs> people don't understand what that even means these days. But I do think a lot of people expect to be a manager with three to four years experience. And I can sit there and say, as that person sits across the desk from a CEO, what credibility does my firm have by putting that person in that position? But that is the expectation of today's young talent. Um, I also think that one of the greatest challenges on talent, and I'll move on to another subject, is the issue of people leaving a corporate or agency environment very early in their career to do the freelance route. Because it can be very, I think, sexy and appealing if they can make more money and have a lot of freedom. And I think those are two things that are very important for today's um, all people, but certainly with the younger audiences of employees. Uh, yet at the same time, what I find is those people later on want to re-enter the workforce in a position that is far more senior than where they left off, but many of those people, and this does not speak to all by any means, have been working in the tactical field the entire time they were gone, and they go back and want to be a strategist and a, and a you know, key group leader. And it's been a challenge, I think, for us in losing people in the work pool and then trying to gainfully uh, employ them again and not having the skill set necessary. When it comes to just the, the business as a whole, I can say that, um, and I know I've talked to many of you here tonight in the uh, earlier moments uh, before we began the program, uh, it's a flurry of activity. I mean, just with Jean, who uh, has joined us, you know, we have six active RFPs under her purview alone at my agency. It's just an enormous amount of activity going on. And that is very exciting, and we saw that during the last year as well. The challenge, I think, if you have to look at what is the downside of that, is these clients have so many expectations for what they want but not the budget to fill it. And that can be at any level. It can be that $10,000 a month client or that $100,000 a month client. But what they want for that money usually is far different than what the money can really provide. Um, I, I think that if you look at the gap studies that uh, was conducted at the Annenberg School, there's some interesting information in there um, about the spending um, and, and the consolidation that's occurring still. I think the agency of record is, is the way it was 10 years ago. I think large companies, a million dollar plus, are working with multiple agencies, maybe fewer agencies, but don't really want to have that AOR relationship with any one particular partner. 
Um, and I think clients are more and more asking for strategy because at the end of the day, are still buying the tactics, which is frustrating. Um, and I think a lot of our clients are getting an MBA, and I, I hope before we die, in our generation, this is one thing we can, as practitioners, fix, that most of my MBA clients are terribly smart, but they do not understand PR. And it's very difficult for them to equate what we do as having the kind of value that I think we can for our clients. I think the last thing, uh, just real quickly on the state of the business, is layoffs are still happening. I have a number of clients who are, I've been speaking with this week who have recently gone through layoffs in December who are still talking about layoffs occurring. Um, and if you read the business with a number of papers, that is expected to continue. So even though the economy seems like it's fairly robust, layoffs are still happening at the PR level as well. And I think then, lastly, the only thing that I want to talk about on the outside is I think there are a number of things that were, again, in the press release. But, I mean, obviously technology has impacted how we conduct business, no matter what business you're in. It certainly has changed how we communicate with um, our different constituents. I mean, clearly, you know, you can get information on a cell phone, on the iPod, you know, all different sorts of ways on the web. And if you look at studies, you know, there are some studies that came out in the last six months that talk about some people under the age of 25 get no news from the newspaper or from TV. Well, there's obviously a lot of different ways to reach them, but people I still think are putting together traditional PR programs that don't address some of the changes that are happening with technology and with demographics. I also think there's a huge, you know, if you look at one person turning 60 uh, about every second right now, and that's not an exaggeration, I think the market shift demographically is going to change how we how we do business and what kind of products enter the marketplace. That's everything from healthcare to, you know, about the youth products. Um, and I also think, and if you wish, the Kenneth Fowler Smith program that PRSA helped put on um, last fall and heard Harris Diamond speak, uh, he did it so well. But I do think that where we are at in this particular state of politics, not to do anything that's partisan one way or the other, our place in a, I mean, the eyes of the world is in a very different place than it's ever been. And I think it has a huge impact on our corporations that we either work for or that we represent in terms of um, how, we want to, how we want to do business in different geographies that no longer see us in the same way they might have um, before our current administration. And then I think the last thing is at the positive, the same thing you started off with. There's a huge, um, I think, um, place for us at the table, the CEO of C-Suite, that didn't exist when I began this profession. It wasn't even here probably five years ago. Um, a lot of our clients are utilizing PR more than other integrated marketing disciplines, and there's a more share of dollar pay spent for PR. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, you covered everything. You know, I, I, I really didn't want to say it, but, you know, that's... Uh, you were talking about a long time ago. You, you, you I don't have one of these gadgets that have red uh, uh, lights on. Anyway, appreciate your uh, opening remarks. Bill Amata is our second panelist. He's chairman and chief executive of the IW Group, which is a full-service communications firm specializing in the multicultural markets here in the U.S., more than a decade of experience in marketing, public relations, advertising, and training, Bill and his company have and continue to represent some of the top global names, farmers groups, Southern California Edison, Nike, McDonald's, a bunch of others. The IW Group also represents a number of prominent governmental agencies, including the California Department of Health Services, Tobacco Control Section, and the Office of National Drug Control Policy. Bill? Judy, Judy, you covered everything, so uh, I don't uh, want to we cover all the things, but I think the key things that I want to uh, mention today, uh, I think I have to wear the diversity hat because this is a critical issue that's going to continue to be critical for us. Uh, we've already seen states like California, Hawaii, the District of Columbia become minority-majority, 
And we're going to see other states like Illinois, Florida, Georgia, New Jersey, Washington State also become minority majority. So I think if agencies and corporations don't diversify their workforce, more women on boards, more African Americans, Latinos, Asians, Native Americans, gays and lesbians, older adults on their boards of directors, we're going to see more drastic measures. And I think that some of the things that might happen in our future is legislation. If the companies and the agencies do not make the effort to diversify their ranks, government's going to step in and do that for us. And you're going to see more and more corporations as we move forward. Uh, Walmart would be a good example. Walmart made a decree recently that said that all of our law firms that represent us around the country must reflect the diversities of the communities they are working in. So I think we're going to see a lot more Fortune 500 companies demand that the agencies that work with them, the practitioners that work with them, reflect the communities and the customers that they service. Another thing that I think is very important is we as PR people have a responsibility to the academy. Universities and colleges continue to graduate people that cannot spell, cannot write, and cannot even point out on a map where Sacramento California is. We have people that cannot present, we have people that have no common sense, and the only thing that we music. So I think that every one of us in this room have a responsibility to go to those universities and train the next generation of public relations people. Because the people that are graduating from our universities and colleges today are not up to par and up to snuff to continue our industry. I also believe that we must be at the table in all the discussions. You heard about the Six Sigmas. Now the big thing is the five Ps, product, place, price, promotion, people. Where's public relations and communications? We should be at the forefront of that discussion and there should be six Ps. Promotion is not public relations. So I think it's very important that if we're going to control the agenda, we're at the table at the onset. Nothing that I think we need to be cognizant about is we need to be cognizant about helping one another. And I think in our industry, uh, one thing that we've learned from, from our agency is that uh, we support our competitors. And frankly, the stronger our competition is in the industry, the agency industry, the stronger we're going to be as pro uh, professionals and practitioners. So if Golden Harris or Weber Shamrock or Fleischman or any of the agencies ask for our help or any of our competitors in the Asian and Latino space, then we would support them because we need to grow this industry together. I'm not one of those people that subscribe to there's no budget. Frankly, if we capture the imaginations of corporations and people that are marketing, they're going to find the budget to support us. So uh, those are just some of the things that I wanted to talk about uh, this evening. I'm going to stop it there because we have three other panelists. And I hope this will have a provocative uh, discussion this evening. Thanks very much, Bill. Imagine uh, if the parents of some of those uh, children, some of those students heard that their tens of thousands of dollars were being invested in, in, in that kind of uh, output as far as, uh, as, far as common, common sense. Uh, our next panelist is Magdalena Beltran-Delamo. She is the Vice President of Communications for the California Wellness Foundation, which is nationally recognized in the field of philanthropy for its strategic communications program and public education campaigns. She has more than 20 years of professional experience in journalism, communications management, and social marketing. 
Prior to joining the Foundation, Magdalena held communication leadership roles with Kaiser Permanente and Coronado Communications, also served as Associate Director with the USC-based California Chicano News Media Association. There she developed the nation's first computerized job referral service for ethnic journalists in the news media, helping more than 300 professionals and students be hired by major news media organizations across the country. Thank you. I, I have to put in a plug. I just left a philanthropy conference where one of my old uh, colleagues, the VP at Kaiser Permanente, I mentioned to her that I was coming to speak to all of you. And she said, oh, let him know we have two job openings in public affairs. <laughs> and so after the panel, come to me. I've got the phone number and more details. But there are two valid openings at Kaiser Permanente that I've been asked to promote. So I would have been remiss not doing that. Um, I'm a different kind of animal, I think, in comparison here to my distinguished colleagues in that I work for a foundation that has major assets, a billion dollar endowment, and it funds only in the state of California, uh, about 45 million a year, but what it does is unlike many other foundations do nationally, and that is it uses strategic communications from the top down in its grant making to really push the envelope on a lot of issues, and some of them are very difficult issues like gun violence, teen pregnancy prevention, and uh, the uninsured, kids not being insured with uh, health insurance. And so my perspective is not a nonprofit perspective. I don't work for a nonprofit organization that's asking for money. I don't have to raise money. Don't work for a corporation that has to look at uh, marketing. I work for a foundation that's made a commitment to using social marketing techniques to bring more information and awareness about the work of its grantees, not about the foundation. So I'm in a pretty damn privileged position, which is why I've been at my job for 10 years. And what I see in the industry are a few things, some of which have been echoed by my colleagues, but I certainly see um, a lot of reporter fatigue. As a former newspaper reporter and as someone who had, was married, uh, my, my late husband was a journalist and an editor at the LA Times. And so let me tell you, every time there was a wave of layoffs at the LA Times, I got nailed with a lot of emails and phone calls from professionals who'd been there a long time wanting to know how they could get into another field. So I'm seeing more of and more of that. And what that does to us as an entity is we're trying harder to package stories about the work of our grantees so that we take a lot of the pressure off the dwindling number of journalists that are being left behind to do this work. That's number one. Number two, um, I still see a lot of segmentation of ethnic PR and it pisses me off. Okay? Just, let me just flat out say it. Um, I first met Bill when we were both at Cal State Northridge. He was student body president, and I was assistant editor for the school paper and the editor of the Chicano Studies paper. And so I used to have to ask him for money because he controlled the purse strings so that my newspapers would get published. The tables are turned now. <laughs> and, uh, I feel really good about it. The reason I wanted to illustrate that is Bill is an equal member of my communications consultant team. 
I have five major firms that are on retainer, and they all have equal say and equal implementation. And so the work that Bill, Bill does, his firm does, is not strictly Asian. He does general market us, and sometimes he collaborates with our Latino PR firm, African American and general market firm, so that we do some really integrated efforts. And so every quarter, they're all brought together. So the left and the right hands know what they're doing. All the hands know what they're doing. Same thing with the website agency. And so I would like to see less ghettoizing among those of you who are in a position in corporate America or with the kinds of works that you do joint venture with other PR firms. I'd like to see more of that, bringing people more equally to the table. Because when we think about doing communications, we don't think in English. Okay? We think right from the start, and we're going to tell the story of a mom who's lost her son to gun violence, and she has turned her life around in trying to channel that agony into something worthwhile to help other kids in neighborhoods, and she starts a nonprofit organization, and she's really done a lot to help kids get off the streets and be in safe environments. We don't think of it just in English. We think about how it's going to play out to Latino media, um, Asian media, different different Asian media, because if it's Orange County or San Francisco, you're talking about different constituents. Everybody, because California is not an English-dominant state. In fact, in media, uh, we're the number two English language market. But for many Asian media, we're number one. And for Latino, we, I mean, come on. Spanish language radio stations have always kicked, the, in the last decade, a lot of the English language radio stations in the Arbitron ratings and Nielsen. So we're, we're dealing with a different reality. And I, what I'd like to see happen more in the industry I haven't seen as much change as I personally would like to see is more of those issues right from the start. Not that you think in English and then you translate. Because it's insulting, it's outdated, and it's just not a way to really promote your client's interests. Um, the last thing, and I think I'll leave other thoughts that I have to, hopefully questions that will be posed, uh, is sometimes, quite frankly, we bypass news media. There's a lot of stories that we promote that we're just not going to waste our time trying to get a newspaper or a radio station to cover it. We're going to cut right to the chase and we're going to go to the policymakers and the elected officials who need to know these stories, whether it's uh, comprehensive sexual sexuality and, um, education for teens who cannot rely on abstinence only if they cross the line and they're sexually active, but yet there are model programs that are going on in the state that can help these kids so hopefully these young girls won't get pregnant. Well, if you're dealing with some very conservative constituents, like in the San Joaquin Valley, damn it, you're not necessarily going to get a story out of Bakersfield, California. All right? Let's talk terms. So what do we do? We think, well, who ultimately is the audience? It's the Board of Education. It's elected officials. It's those that control the laws, the regulatory, and other policy actions where there might be some incremental changes that will bring more comprehensive information to those teens so they're not at risk for pregnancy. So sometimes we just chuck the news media and we ourselves go straight to the source and we develop packets of policy and other information that speaks in the language of the people we're trying to reach. Um, there's some other things I'd like to share and I'm going to wait for the questions because they have to do with technology, they have to do with iPods, and um, <coughs> podcasting and all those things that the kids are doing, which we've actually started to do. And I've learned some things about it, but it'll be interesting to find out what questions we have about technology. 
because we're certainly shifting more of our dollars into that, and we are shifting away from our prints and ad dollars. And so that's certainly something that I, I think is a no-brainer that all of you have seen in the media. With that, I hand it back to you. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> uh, our next panelist is Bob Feldman. He joined DreamWorks Animation last year as the company's first head of corporate communications. Uh, just out here from New York, I understand, just uh, less than a year. Position was created, of course, as a result of the animation unit spin-off and IPO in uh, October 2004 from DreamWorks SKG, which doesn't exist anymore, right? Have, have the deal been done, or is it about to be done? Right? It's almost done, but yeah. it continues to exist as a unit of power. Right, okay. Um, <laughs> far, far from what uh, they had uh, hoped for uh, uh, back in 94 or whenever it was. Anyway, uh, DreamWorks um, Animation is led by Jeff Katzenberg and has produced a number of highly successful movies, as I'm sure all of you know, including Shrek, Shrek 2, Shark Tale, and last year's Madagascar, which uh, has already generated more than $500 million at the worldwide box office. Before joining DreamWorks, Bob was president and chief executive of GCI Group, a large public relations firm owned by WPP. His agency experience also includes stints at Ketchum and Burson Marksteller. Over the years, Bob has worked with a diverse mix of companies on brand marketing and corporate positioning strategies, including Intel, Sony, Visa, Lowe's, and a bunch of other companies. Bob? Thank you. Uh, I want to just touch on three quick things. Uh, the first, I actually want to pick up on something that Dennis mentioned, I think, in the very opening. Uh, he mentioned that uh, I think that uh, CEOs have identified public relations as kind of the most single critical differentiator thing that can help them achieve success. Is that a proper conversation? Uh, I don't believe them. Uh, my experience is that that's not true. And my experience is that I think it kind of suggests a greater demand on us. I think if, if they're saying that, that's because they believe that the only real problem they have uh, is optics. Right? In other words, if everybody just knew how great this company was, then we'd be fine. Uh, and I think that in and of itself, and that's a gross simplification, but I do think it's cl that's closer to the truth than public relations being the most important success factor to the company. And I think it highlights a challenge for public relations people, which is to push back and to talk about the substance in terms of what what the business is doing and so forth. And that's when I think public relations people actually play the greatest role. So I may be wrong. You know, maybe it is. And I don't mean to kind of, you know, belittle what we do at all. But I, you know, it just doesn't resonate with me. It doesn't ring true. But what does ring true is the idea of senior executives sitting around saying, we have an optics problem. Uh, number two, I wanted to actually kind of talk a little bit about technology. Let me just ask by a show of hands, how many people here uh, have at home either DVR or TiVo? Uh, how many people here have uh, an iPod? How many people have a video iPod? <laughs> Uh, how many people in the last week or two have either watched a movie on a DVD or on demand? I, you know, the, the just the enormous show of hands for almost all of those questions kind of shows you just the what is really a radical, fundamental shift in what's going on out there. It's not there's nothing subtle. Usually things are subtle. Usually 
Life is like waking up in the morning, looking in the mirror, and you look the same. And then you see a picture of yourself ten years ago, and you go, what the hell happened? <laughs> yeah. But there's nothing... <laughs> there's nothing subtle about what's going on here. And the implications on all of us are huge. I'm not going to try to cover them in a minute and a half. But it's something that, you know, we, we need to explore. Uh, the third thing, third observation is uh, public relations people really need to understand business. Uh, the overwhelming majority don't. Uh, we've already heard some people kind of complain about the talent and whether or not they can you know, read, uh, whether or not they can write. Uh, the truth is, I think we need to be fishing in a, not in a different pond, but in additional ponds. Uh, I have a son at law school and a daughter and undergraduate, and as a result, I kind of also wanted to talk to a bunch of, like, like, a lot of kids that are pals or whatever, and I, there are just, there's an enormous number of kids who are saying these days, it seems to me, I want to go into public relations. And they don't know what the hell they're talking about. You know, they, just kind of, they like watching TV, or they, they like people, or all this kind of, They really don't have the slightest idea. What, or if they do, they're talking kind of the Lizzie Grogan kind of. You know, I mean, it's celebrity, yada, yada, yada. And I guess with all due respect to Lizzie Grogan, there's nothing wrong with that. But most, most of these kids have, are, they're kind of clueless about it. And they really aren't studying business. And I'm just kind of say, and uh, you know, I'm sure we'll kind of get into this a little bit, but at least my perspective on this is we've got to look differently. I just recently hired a speechwriter. I interviewed a bunch of MBA graduates at Stanford, UCLA, and USC, and found you know somebody who was uh, not just very bright, but obviously demonstrated great aptitude through kind of giving them, uh, you know, asking them to write some sample speeches, a great capacity to write well but also had a great background in business and finance and so forth, and that's a great skill set. And if I tried to hire you know, a PR person to do that, I, I, I would not have gotten that kind of skill set. It's just that simple. So I think we need to uh, substantially expand the, uh, the pool that we're, we're, we're shopping, while at the same time, to Bill's point, help kind of address the issue that's a real weakness, I think, for the industry right now. Our final panelist, is Betsy Birkenmer Crudere, president of Birkenmer Clayton, a retained executive search firm specializing in communications and finance searches for corporations in the West. Betsy is a 30 year veteran in the public relations industry. She started her own agency in 1973 after working in publicity for Disney, NBC, and as a local newspaper reporter. 1978, Richard Klein joined to launch Bergener and Klein, which over the next 10 years became one of the largest PR firms in LA, was acquired by Goldman Harris. After five years with Goldman Harris, Betsy believed the public relations industry needed an executive search firm with a commitment to diversity. So she launched, launched her own firm 12 years ago with business partner Fred Clayton. Today, their firm has handled communication search work for uh, clients that include Kaiser, Permanente, um, Hilton Hotels, USC Health Sciences, and the Metropolitan Water District. Uh, Betsy. Thank you, Mark. I'm delighted to go last because this way I can sort of wrap up with a couple of comments, uh, perhaps about uh, the talent pool and, and the, uh, the business in general. Could I ask uh, how many people in the audience work for agencies? A good many, and how many work for corporations? 
and how many spend their weekend, uh, weeks on the beach? <laughs> okay, well, and how many want to? <laughs> well, I, um, I'm glad to see a good mix of both agency and corporate people. And I'd also like to take a, a brief, uh, uh, brief moment to introduce someone. Uh, Berkmer Clayton last summer gave a scholarship to a USC student uh, in our to emphasize our our commitment to diversity as well, and I'd like to introduce her. She came tonight. She's a reporter on the Daily Trojan staff, and she is an intern, an inroads intern at uh, Directv. Elsa Irizarry. Elsa, would you just stand, please? <laughs> I promised I wouldn't embarrass her, but we're delighted that she came. And I think that's a sample of how all of us need to be um, helping bring diversity and bring young people into our industry. And I wanted Elsa to see what the PR industry is all about. She's only been exposed, obviously, to uh, uh, USC and trying to make a living while she's uh, uh, going to school. And that was, for some of us, a long time ago to remember all that. But uh, overall, I wanted to share with you that the hiring situation is much more positive this year ahead than it has been in the last four years. I know that we've attended this this evening, the State of the Industry uh, sessions for the last four years, and everybody looked so glum, and we were all glum as we spoke up here on the, on the panel. But uh, I see a lot of bright faces out there, many of you I know well, and uh, the LABJ did an economic forecast just this morning where they were talking about the, the year ahead and that it does look good, that um, there will be steady job growth in industry overall uh, with a decline in housing prices by the end of this year. So maybe that's a good sign. But the uh, growth in hospitality, entertainment, financial services will balance out that uh, change and uh, uh, move away from companies that are, are specializing or, or focused only on the mortgage business and on construction of new homes. So things might balance out a bit. All in all, it's looking much, much more positive and optimistic than uh, in the past four years. And I can say, as my colleagues in the, in the retained and non-retained executive search uh, industry know that it's just been flat the last four years, absolutely flat. So uh, we're delighted to see that the year ahead looks, looks good and hope that will continue. But it's also good for all of you, uh, for those of you who are looking to perhaps learn more and move up in your career, and uh, those of you, very good for those of you in the agency business, because agencies are hiring, as, as most of my panel members said here, the agency business is quite robust now. So um, part of the reason that corporations are still downsizing is because they don't want to be incurring the healthcare costs and the workers' compensation costs that come, and other costs that come with having full-time employees. So it's a, it's, that's very good for the agency business in that there's more money to uh, hire outside services. So I, I always recommend, especially to young people coming up in the, in the industry, to start out at agencies right out of college, as Chris Perez did at our agency long ago, and right out of college and stay at the agency at least till you're 35. Then think about moving into the corporation, because at agencies, and I don't mean to just be on the soapbox here, but at agencies, young people can learn so much they learn from colleagues who are PR professionals. They learn um, how to write, how to think, how to become more strategic. 
And whereas if they were already early on in the corporate realm, they don't get that exposure, they don't get that support from a great many other people, PR people around them. Um, so it's just a, a word to the wise that uh, an, an agency uh, career is a very positive career in order to get to that level where you can move into the corporate realm as a VP instead of into the corporate realm as a lowly um, person on the PR ladder because as we all know it's hard to move up. I do want to uh, share during the uh, discussion some uh, observations from a salary review that we, Burke and Mark Clayton, did at the end of uh, of 05, in fact it was Bob Feldman who had just moved into the, the city a year ago and said, well, you know, what are we really paying PR people? So we did a survey of the corporate PR uh, leaders, 75 of them in Southern California, and had a very good feedback um, of most importance to you is that most uh, are going to, cons about 3 to 5 percent will be hiring uh, new people this year ahead. Uh, but salaries in general are going to stay fairly flat. The only the the rise in salaries would be about three to five percent, which uh, is not a lot. And the uh, bonus pool increases will be about three to five percent. Now these are corporate salaries, not agency, um, which sometimes could be higher or lower depending upon whom you're talking to. But I don't recommend that you suddenly decide, well, this is the year I'm going to change positions. This is a year where I say there's going to be a good opportunity for doing so, but it's also very wise to stay right where you are and make absolutely the best out of your working uh, situation, unless you just have to leave because you can't stand it anymore, or you can work your way towards finding what your next move is going to be. But uh, don't just think that this is a year I'm going to jump ship, because there are many reasons not to. A couple of... Uh, couple of uh, points about your career, um, and I guess I've already said it indirectly, that money is not everything and should not be the, uh, the end-all be-all that the guys were moving, but learning and growing and learning what Bob suggested much more about the overall business community is, is more important than uh, trying to move up for money alone. Um, not only should you take courses at UCLA and at USC to continue your own professional education, but you should also be guest lecturers at many places as you can be, especially all of you senior folks here, to be able to help build our practice with good, solid people coming through the pipeline. And um, also, my, I always suggest add at least one nonprofit board to the portfolio of activities that you undertake in your busy, busy lives, but networking and being visible visible, and building your own brand is also a key to continuing to move up while uh, making sure that you are building a solid career where you are. Lastly, on that note, uh, someone, uh, Bob, you mentioned MBA. I recommend to all people, except those of us who are ancient at this point, to get your MBA we can't even present candidates at the senior levels who don't have their MBAs, whether it's communications or business um, or marketing. You need to get that, uh, that degree under your belt, and many of the corporations where you work, you should investigate to see if they will give you any kind of reimbursement on tuition. And then you do. And you might be able to get part of the MBA now while you're working at this place and then keep on moving, but get that degree under, under your belt if at all possible. 
So those are a couple of comments, and we'll come back to salaries during questions, I'm sure. Thanks, Mark. Okay, thanks. Um, ran a little bit longer than we were anticipating. The three-minute rule was not really here to panelists, so that, whatever. Um, okay, uh, just a reminder that in a few minutes uh, we'll open uh, uh, open it up to questions from the audience. Get a few of those in. In the meantime, uh, let me start out by asking the panel, and we're going to get into the technology stuff a little bit. And let me start off by putting you sort of on the spot. Okay, uh, the topic is blogosphere. All right. And let's just say that you walk into your office on a Monday morning to discover that somebody has posted something really nasty about the co company you work for or a client, okay? It's about the CEO, he's kind of shady, he may have had five wives in Central America or something, um, just really the feds are rumored to be investigating. Uh, okay. So the first posts go up, and there are all kinds of links and chat rooms, and basically it's all over the place. And you're not in a position, because the feds, of course, are not in a position to confirm or deny such investigations oftentimes. Um, it's just out there. Um, so what do you do in this day and age? That happened to us last week, but the feds were not involved. <laughs> Tell us. It was a very odd situation, but an elected official, and it's, it's part of this um, ideological uh, lather that you hear all the time, and um, fundamentally an elected official posted on his own website allegations about there being a conspiracy that all of the health foundations in California really had banded together to uh, create this agenda to force the state of California to provide free health care for everybody that is socialist and communist and all that stuff. This was an elected official. And, 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 that's, and that's not true? just 
his staffers had gotten so much information wrong about us that we came out of the Blue Cross conversion. No, that's the endowment. We came out of the health net. So we just kind of went down and said, here's all the things that you, you reported erroneously. It's a matter of public record. And so we respect your right to free speech. Um, but if you're going to write something about us, kindly report accurate information. So, so your your suggestion is to just get in there and try and clarify as best you can. Well, yeah. He was an elected official. Now, if it's some crazy from <laughs> you know some <laughs> wacko organization and they do really wacko things like deny that the Holocaust took place, I'm not going there. But this guy was an elected official. He used a public forum. He used his website that's funded by the state of California to disseminate erroneous information, not only about us, but some of the other foundations. And so I saw it as a duty, as did my CEO, to at least correct this elected official. Now, again, every circumstance is different, but we moved swiftly. Um, and then he responded right back to us. It was fascinating, saying, well, it doesn't matter that all the other information was wrong. He still had an agenda. And at that point, we stopped. Because yeah. then it was going into the ideological warfare of words. And for us, what was most critical was the fact that it was in a public forum and that if it went uncorrected, that that erroneous impression would continue by our silence and we were going to do that. Yeah, it's a slippery slope. But what about you, in your world especially, uh, you're, you're just inundated with that this kind of stuff. I think there are two... I think there are two things. One is you need to find the the balance of when to ignore that stuff. Uh, you don't want to feed it. Uh, I mean, you know, we're we're talked about, you know, every day in a lot of places with a lot of volume, kind of disproportionate to our size. So there's a certain amount that you, you just it just kind of almost disappears in the in the volume. Having said that, when some of that stuff comes up, uh, that's why I think you also want friends. And friends are frequently just employees. They could be people on the outside and may have other people kind of go on their blogs or links and just kind of say, this guy's out of his mind. And just kind of keep it low-key and get across the other point of view, just so that it's kind of viewed as, all right, so there's somebody who's got an axe to grind, but there's some perspective and it kind of fades. Uh, I think frequently, it depends on the circumstance, but frequently a corporate response is not the right response. You know, because it just doesn't resonate in the blogs. You know, when there's some sort of equivalent of corporate press release out there, that's, you know, a disaster. So sometimes just having somebody write something as an individual that tries to set the record straight can be helpful. Anybody else? Any thoughts? It seems that, you know, as an outsider, uh, looking at your industry, misinformation which has always been a challenge, is really a challenge now because of all of the distribution channels. Um, how do you all deal with that? And is it, I mean, is it a problem? Anybody want to grab that? You, you can't respond to everything, and I agree. I think every circumstance is different. So we fundamentally ignore some of the wacky stuff that's said about us. Um, but we, we do, when we look at the source, if someone is supposed to be um, engaged in sort of responsible um, conduct and they're starting to do some of these things, that's a different situation for us. But by and large, it's just impossible to, to try to respond to everything. And you just got to let some, some of the things go and, and recognize that people out there are smart enough to see who the source is. 
And if some of those sources are consistently wacky and out of their mind about things, you know, it's best not to respond. Tell me what I think in some respects the biggest problem is, is that most people in a position to decide on a strategy, and I'll put my, myself in this camp, don't really understand the environment. You know, so they're kind of dependent on others to almost interpret that environment for them. And I think there's a big risk there. And I don't know of any great solution other than for, you know, people like me to just, you know, learn it as much as you can and get comfortable with that environment because there's an easy tendency that I think we have sometimes to dismiss it. And more often than not, it probably is worth dismissing, but there are other times where those things start to gain traction and then all of a sudden something that could have been addressed early on starts to really become a problem for the company. Uh, and so the biggest vulnerability I think most companies have is that most, most members of senior management teams don't really get this. And more often than not, they don't really need to, but when they need to, it's probably too late. So you gotta give credit to you know, CEOs and so forth who are out there blogging or looking at stuff and you know, constantly learning this stuff. It's something that we all have to do. What about from the, keeping on this, this topic of technology and then we'll, we'll open it up to the audience. Um, from a strategic standpoint, how are you handling your business now versus before iPods, before the internet, uh, before technology really uh, became a factor in the in the uh, dark ages of newspapers and magazines, um, it's it's different now. And I'm just wondering, uh, just from in terms of dealing with your clients and dealing with your companies, um, how do you how do you do that now? Could you? First thing you have to remember is you shouldn't be looking at technology first. You should be looking at the demographic you're trying to target. So, you know, if you're trying to talk to a senior or you're trying to talk to an eight-year-old or you're trying to talk to a 19-year-old, how you're going to outreach to them is obviously going to be very different. And I think that, you know, we do a lot of research for proprietary. We get a lot of secondary data. Um, we're part of the Simmons research family. You know, I think what we try to do is make sure we understand what is the set of information sources reach the demographics and what are the best ways to reach them and try to stay on top of those trends. So for example, yeah, blogs can be important, you know, wiki can be important, you know, iPhones can be important, but for many audiences, those aren't important. And the worst thing to do is come up with some strategic plan and think it's strategic. And there's all this new technology that really isn't right for the audience we're trying to target. So I think it's just being smart about knowing how people get information and how the best way to reach them. And yes, research does show a lot of young people don't read daily newspapers, don't watch TV news. So please don't come up with a recommendation that's going to go through one of those two channels, you know. And yes, they're on the web every day. So one of the best ways, but there's a million channels on the web. You know, twenty thousand blogs a day. So, so distribution channels are less important than the message you're you're trying, the message of the people that you're trying to get through. I think part of it goes back to their credibility. You know, what is the most credible source? Not just how they get information, but there's studies out there that the PR people get their hands on that say, here's all the ways people get information. Here's how they deem information most credible. And that's obviously the way to go. You know, yeah. Yeah. a lot of that, you know, friends and family and first-hand experience in every study I've seen far outweighs advertising, PR, and promotion. So I think every good PR plan should have a, a for those people audience, should have a direct to the constituent component. You know, we're asked on the issue of blogs, people are writing in Chinese, so most people can't figure it out anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but in the area of technology, one thing that I think is very important for us is uh, it's just like another language for us. 
and we're already involved in a different language other than English, and I think this is a wake-up call for most Americans when they travel abroad. They always want somebody who can speak to them in English. Uh, but for us, uh, we speak in various languages in our office already, so going to another technology or a new channel or a new message is, is just uh, something that we do every day. But I think one thing that, that's very important for us is we bring our clients together on a regular basis, uh, usually for breakfast or sometimes for lunch. We bring a lot of thought leaders together in various industries. It might be entertainment, it might be pharma, it might be biotech, it might be healthcare, to get the key learnings that they have uh, to learn about the mistakes and some of the trials and challenges that they've had and how they've dealt with that. And that's a really good way for us to keep on top of, of technology. Betsy, do you have any thoughts? Not really. I tried to figure out a way that we could do a blog. I haven't come up with the answer yet. Okay, that's a great answer. That's a great, good answer. Uh, let's open it up to uh, to the audience to uh, ask some questions. Who's out there? Yes. Hi, my name is Jane Walker, and I, this question was for Bob in particular, but anybody else as well. Um, I was really captivated by two of the comments that you made. One um, regarding PR not really being um, you're not seeing that as a predominant. Um, priority in terms of what executives are saying versus what you're seeing. I can clarify that. Yes. question was, did I not see it as a predominant priority? That's not what I said. I took issue with the idea that CEOs are saying the number one critical success factor to their business is public relations. I'm not saying it's not a priority. I just don't believe they think it's the number one critical success factor. Okay, and, and, and what I, my comment to that is that the, uh, the last two CEOs that I've worked with have made it very clear that PR is not um, the top priority or a top priority. Um, what is uh, Stakeholders, <laughs> bottom line, um, not... Um, okay, guess what's the question? My question, um, my question is, that, let me kind of redirect my question. My real question is, how was part of your decision to bring MBAs in, those with obvious business knowledge or experience, was that partly to raise the credibility of your communications people so that they had a, 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 um, a, a greater place at the table with um, executives. Everybody heard the question? No. The question was, did the bringing in of, uh, my bringing in MBA uh, talent, uh, was that to address credibility for the function with management of the organization? And uh, the answer is no. Uh, credibility was a byproduct of that, but I wasn't trying to do it to achieve, I was trying to do it to do my job better, basically, I mean, so that the function would do a better job. The consequence of that would be more credibility. But it wasn't, you know, to go back to the other, the, the earlier point, it wasn't an optics issue. I needed somebody to do the freaking business. I needed somebody who, when we had earnings, casually sit down and understand this stuff. 
questions? Yes. Mark, I'll go back to your question of the panel. You had asked them what do we do in a crisis situation. In today's world, the question is uh, how it results in the technology that we use. So really the question to Magdalena, in your response to the elected official, how did you get your response out to the, all of the people who read it? Did you use your own no, blog? No, no, did we didn't get it out to the, we only sent it to him. Yeah, but but he went off and he went ahead and repeated some things on his blog, but we didn't want to get engaged in that dialogue. That was a very strategic decision on our part. We fundamentally assessed it that here was an unlikely individual because uh, we had seen other information written about us in blogs and it was, you know, erroneous information, but again, we considered the source, but here was an elected official who had posted it on his site. And so we felt, you know, he's got a lot of wrong information, let's correct him. So we sent him a letter via snail mail to him. He posted it, gave his own response, and like I said, at that point, he was really taking it to a whole other level of dialogue, and at that point we stopped. But we felt our primary objective was that he had disseminated erroneous information. We couldn't, we, we didn't want to get engaged again on that side, but we could sure as heck go to the responsible party himself and tell him, you know what, you didn't report, report this correctly. And to his credit, he put it on the side, but he minimized it. He said it didn't really matter <laughs> that he got he'd gotten all that information wrong. So, but again, um, it was important to the CEO and it was important to us that someone who's in a responsible position, an elected official like that, should at least hear from a foundation that he was disseminating wrong information about us. Yeah, if I could have a quick example yeah. of blog today. I a few blogs because uh, this is just an example of why we need to pay attention to this stuff. I, uh, somebody who works for us, one of our animators, has his own, has his own blog, a lot of them do, and uh, <laughs> lots of different stuff on it. You know. And it's fine, it's got violation of anything. But he mentioned that he works at our company. An analyst on the street was looking around for people to come. So found this guy's blog, contacted him and said, I'd like to talk to you about your company. Now, you know, he came to us and said, well, should I talk to this guy? But the point is, you know, the guys on the street, there's nothing, there's nothing really mischievous about it. I don't know that anything bad would have happened. But the point is, you know, the street's looking at this thing, this to, to try to find people that they can talk to that better understand what's going on and probe. So if you're if you're kind of oblivious to this world, I don't know if you are, but if you're kind of oblivious to what's going on there, it really carries considerable risk. Because now you have another analyst going directly to people to try to talk to them. And, and, and this is just something you had because he happened to contact well, you. Yeah. And you know what? It's okay. I mean, it's incumbent upon us as a company to make sure people kind of understand that you know, if, if an analyst calls you, or if the press calls you, you know, you should talk to us first, so you know, so we're aware of you. You know, 99% of the people want to, because you know, they, on the other hand, sometimes if they're pissed off, I guess they're happy to do it kind of on background. Point is, just you kind of be aware of this. This is going on far beyond just a bunch of kind of people on the periphery. I mean, it's kind of mainstream among pretty large constituents. I just want to know that the technology and crises could be very helpful. Uh, uh, one of the companies, a big uh, petroleum company, actually ran a commercial and it uses the anim animated cars. Normally those ads are in English and they had a, a really nice Spanish version of that and they decided, well, Los Angeles is very Latino, 
Uh, Spanish is uh, one of the predominant languages in our area. Let's run this spot on mass market TV. And some of the stations said, no way, we would not run a Spanish language spot on mainstream TV. But uh, several of the stations did, like CBS. As soon as this uh, commercial was run in Spanish with English subtitles, this petroleum company, which is a leader in, in the United States, received tons of hate mail in their blogs and all sorts of messages saying, this is America, damn it, you need to speak English. <laughs> and the president of this company <coughs> shuddered and said, well, we need to pull this out immediately. And so the ad was pulled, and, and people were very upset that uh, this company took a risk and, and then retreated because they saw a blog that criticized the company. And so what the company decided to do was what Bob said. You know, they assessed it. Is this something that we give legs to? Is it not? And they decided, well, no, we have a lot of friends out there. Let's mention this to our friends. And all of a sudden, there was an email campaign. One person saying, no, Chevron is the company, should get kudos for taking a risk and trying to reach a different audience here in Los Angeles. And all of a sudden, Gloria Molina got involved. And all of a sudden, Lucy Roy Balauer's office got involved. And all these community leaders starting writing letters to the president of Chevron saying, you did a good thing, you took a risk, you're trying to speak to languages other than uh, and, uh, people that speak uh, English. And all of a sudden, the email was three to one in favor of Chevron running the spot. So I do think that you can turn around some of the blogs and the messaging that comes through through technology and make it a positive. But it's interesting how, again, the use of non-traditional uh, methods uh, like email and I guess blogging to some extent and how it's really changed I'm sure it's changed the pace of what, what you folks do. Uh, Based on that, how much are you seeing viral or grassroots marketing being tactics being used now? I mean, are you seeing that as alternatives to what we've traditionally done? Absolutely. I mean, you look at a company like Nike as an example. Uh, Nike didn't sponsor the Olympics in Atlanta, but everybody thought they did. Uh, they planned out way ahead and noticed, you know, Reebok was the sponsor. They found a location right where the Olympic Village was. They bought that location. They put up their sign. And every time you saw the, uh, the TV programs about the Olympics, you saw the Nike logo. That's now that's illegal, by the way. And then, you know, marketing, they use... Um, PDF, they use uh, cell phones, RSS, so nowadays they go to all these different clubs, they find the most popular people, because Bill Knight's philosophy is you get the five most popular people on campus or in a company to wear your product, and everyone follows. So they go to the clubs around Hollywood, and, you know, Viper Room, whatever, Sky Bar, Open McCoy, they find the most popular people, they get their names, they put them on their, their roles and they send out a little message on their cell phone. There's a party at Venice, Venice Beach. Well, there wasn't any brick and mortar for Nike at Venice Beach, but 20 minutes later, there was. Um, all viral marketing, all of a sudden, there's a group of people there, there's a band there, there's music, the police come. Five minutes later, then Nike source is on. So there's all sorts of type of viral marketing that can be very, very popular. It's making it more difficult, I think, for people like PR folks to, to keep ahead unless they're on top of all of these uh, returns. What do you think um, You said something very interesting earlier that uh, more clients than ever have MBAs, but none of them understand PR. Uh, why is that, and what can we do to fix that? 
and, and some measures, but case histories like you just mentioned, Judy, speak for themselves. And I'm a firm believer, and this is what I was talking about, some of the brand side of work for a corporation that, you know, council PR firms or PRSA, this is a huge undertaking for a nonprofit. I mean, it's going to have to at some point be a collective effort, I believe, of corporations to try to make a difference that those business schools by endowing a chair or whatever it may take one step at a time to make a difference. I hope I'm not the only one on this panel, but uh, I don't believe in MBAs. <laughs> I, I hope that if you uh, are pursuing a career that you don't just limit yourself to an MBA and frankly if a company demands that the person is an MBA, run from that company. <laughs> uh, I, I really don't think that we should be encouraging people to get MBAs. They're a dime a dozen. They don't know a damn thing. They write a bunch of books that nobody uses and everybody thinks they're great. And frankly, I would prefer, if I was hiring, I would prefer somebody with a master's in fine arts. I would prefer a master's in history. I would like to see more of the liberal arts because I think people that come from that discipline are more well-rounded people. So uh, I, I don't agree with uh, Betsy. I, I'm sure there's a lot of jobs where they require MBAs, but frankly, uh, MBAs are worth this degree. I don't think by any means that there anybody ought to be demanding you know, just MBAs because I, I agree that diversity, but what you should be demanding are very bright people. Okay, if you're not getting it, you're not getting it. And I think you're really diminishing the value of the education behind an MBA if you say that they're built because the truth is okay. you get you get something out of it. And people who come out with, with, with business degrees have something. It doesn't even necessarily hire them. Somebody with a history degree might be more valuable. I think right. the, the common denominator is really bright people. And I think my point wasn't so much whether we are in our profession hiring MBAs or not, is that we have to understand what's in their head and how they're trained and how to speak the same talk they talk for us to succeed as a profession. You know, without weighing in on the MBA issue, because there are three more. I agree with what everybody said about MBAs, but I'm not going to talk about it because I think the real issue is how do you get the CEO to put a premium on strategic communications and marketing? That person you have an MBA. Well, my, <laughs> uh, my CEO doesn't have an MBA. He is the CEO of a billion-dollar Dow Foundation. And one of the things that I really appreciated about my CEO is when he hired me 10 years ago, I had a vision to create a communications program unlike what many of the East Coast-based foundations, the powerhouses in our industry, were doing, which was fundamentally safe annual reports and virtually nothing. And my vision was to create a journalistically driven program that was going to permeate through a lot of different um, vehicles, and that wasn't just print, etc. It was looking at the technology, etc. He bought into the vision. And more significantly, and I think this is the message that I really want to leave you with on this topic, he bought into the vision so much that he did something that was unheard of in our business. In our business, uh, and most foundations that you go to, the center of the universe are the program directors. They're the ones who make the grants. Okay, whatever they say goes. And so if they want a communications program, they get to direct it. At the California Wellness Foundation, the communications person, the VP, has equal say in the overall determination for how we were going to do communications and how it's going to work in synergy with the grant-making program. That was unheard of. So not only did he change that, he actually encouraged me to write about it, and I published a series of articles, and on top of that, he had me doing presentations down to our board, but nationally, and the program directors hated me. 
I mean, there was like a three-year period where I wanted to quit. They used to just treat me horribly because the balance of power had shifted. Why? Because the CEO said communications is as important as doing all the due diligence to do solid grant making, as is the MBAs who manage the portfolio to make sure we keep making $45 million off the billion every year so we can keep funding these underserved communities. So he had the wisdom. Um, he's actually a marriage a licensed family uh, therapist and counselor. <laughs> That's his background. But he used his muscle as a CEO not only to affect systemic change on the staff level, but on the executive board level and with the industry. So much so that this year, the cover story of our annual report and his suggestion is going to be how we use strategic communications to further grant making and to give more value to the work of the grantees. And no other foundation has ever done that. Uh, we are coming to the end, towards the end of our time. Time for one, maybe two questions. Lady, straight ahead. Yes. Okay. Um, my name is Rita Steele, and other than wanting to know how Bill thinks <coughs> about all of the hot clubs in Hollywood, <laughs> I wanted to ask all of the panel, um, what are the trends that you're seeing in cause-related PR? And more specifically, um, do you see it as becoming more or less important uh, as a strategic PR move in the years ahead? Well, I can answer one of those. We have a dedicated practice area to that that we try to introduce to every client. And almost every client can say the same thing. If it won't sell more candy bars or more cars or whatever it may be, you need to come back with a different way of approaching me. So I think that a lot of companies think it's the right thing to do. It probably is the right thing to do, but it doesn't help shift the product off the shelf or off a lot or whatever it is. It's a challenge to solve. Because we try to solve a lot of it that probably is the right thing to do. It's a growing market. Just look at Ben and Jerry's, look at Target, look at Whole Foods, look at what they're doing. Every Whole Foods allows its community to vote in to adopt a, a, a charity in that community so that for one week or one day, the proceeds of certain sales or percentage goes to those communities. But you're seeing more dollars being invested in social marketing causes, not just on the corporate level, but you're also seeing, this is a really important thing for you, for you to remember, because there's going to be more jobs in philanthropy and cause-related communications in the future. Why? Well, there's a multi-billion dollar wealth transfer that's happening as we speak. As more of us boomers die and leave money behind, many family foundations have been created. Not all of them are the size of Bill and Melinda Gates. Okay? They're, they're, they're the big mother. Uh, brother, whatever. But... <laughs> The bottom line is this, you're seeing more entrepreneurs who made a lot of money, and you've seen this now for a decade with the dot-com, that are becoming quote-unquote venture philanthropists. You see it with retiring executives. Michael Eisner started a family foundation long before he left Disney. And so what's going on there is on many different levels, there are more philanthropic efforts that are taking place. But what you're seeing simultaneous to that is a generation that's coming into its own that will be guiding a lot of this foundation and philanthropic work that understands the power of communications, that also understands the power of branding the product, perhaps, where they made their money, um, and branding it to a good cause, like a Ben & Jerry's. So yeah, it's a growing field. 
And not everybody knows how to do it right, because it's not the same as selling candy bars. You're talking about some very difficult, compelling issues. The environment, homelessness, whatever that project is, it's very near and dear to that philanthropist, to that wealthy person, or that corporation. Could I add that in the executive search business, we see that as a as an attraction and retention tool. That corporations are focusing dollars into marketing efforts, as they say, but it's really image building. And when a company does have is well known for its uh, involvement in nonprofit causes, it's definitely an attraction tool for senior level as well as mid level employees. And it's also a retention device because employees want to be volunteering in that particular um, effort. So it's very positive. And just to close, because I know we all will. Um, and I wanted to respond to Bill. Uh, the MBA degree is really a competitive tool and a competitive accomplishment for a person. So um, a lot of us and a lot of good, really good PR people don't have an MBA or don't have a master's degree at all. But in this competitive arena with so many people coming through the pipeline, you need every tool you can possibly use. Bill, you're gonna that MBA line is gonna yeah. uh, be yeah. you know, a highlight. Uh, we're, we're out of time. Uh, let's uh, give a round of applause. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.